when we come down to the end of life, um, it, I think it's important, and I think a lot of people remember the last things that somebody says to us. I don't know if you've ever had that experience that maybe you've got it recorded on your phone or um, maybe even something written down, maybe a card that you received, but the last piece of correspondence that you got from somebody before they passed on. That's a treasure, isn't it? My wife has a voicemail from her uh, papaw that went to be with the Lord several years ago. And we were able to retrieve that off of her phone and keep that as a recording. And she'll play it every now and again. He was calling, wanting to know where the high state Buckeyes were playing on TV. <laughs> but uh, just, it's just, you know, little things like that. Last thing Roger told me a few weeks ago, a few months ago, in a text message, he said, great message, brother. I love you, and I'm praying for you every day. I got several messages like that from people. And those are dear, dear to your heart. They're dear to you whenever they happen while they're here, but then when they're gone, you miss those, don't you? Well, the Apostle Paul had an opportunity to say some final words. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read a few more verses than I normally do, but I promise I won't keep you long tonight. Maybe some of you have already written notes or letters to your family, and, and you've prepared. Uh, I know it's, and I don't mean it to sound morbid, please don't say that, but there are some people that really prepare to leave this world. And they have everything taken care of. One of those people is my father. Whenever he leaves this world, should the Lord tarry his coming, and my father would pass away, my family and I have nothing to worry about from his funeral service all the way to everything else. He has got it all planned out. It's in a file marked when I'm gone. He's had it for years. And I do know there's Spring Jubilee Choir is going to be singing at his funeral, by the way, so you all can be prepared for that. But if you had an opportunity, I'm going to ask you this question before I read this. If you had an opportunity to sit down and write one final letter, what would you say? What would you say? I'm sure it would be filled with sentiments and how much you love someone and thank them for caring for you or whatever the case may be. Maybe you would reflect on memories that you had. Most of you would probably run out of pen and paper because you would simply not have enough words if you had enough time to write those. Now, now let's get it. My dad always taught me if you're going to study the Bible, you got to find out who's talking, who they're talking to, and where they're at. So who, in this passage in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the author is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, and he's in jail. 
He knows he's getting ready to leave this world. He knows his time is at hand. And here's the last thing he wrote to Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's stop there for a moment. So he's telling him, Timothy, I'm getting ready to leave. My time is at hand, but I want you to continue to do what I've taught you to do. Do the work of an evangelist. Regardless of anything that comes up against you, preach the word. Preach the word. Then he goes on to say in more instruction in verse nine, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He wanted him to get there in a hurry. Here's why, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Grecians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Titius have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I will stop there. I know this is familiar scripture to you and this may seem elementary to you, but think about this, the final words that Paul is writing to Timothy. Of course, he wanted to see him. He wanted him to come. He wanted him to bring some things with him. He wanted to bring the parchments. He wanted to bring his cloak. He wanted to bring some things. But then notice where I want to center in on is verses 16 through 18. He could have written about anything he had accomplished in life. He could have written about all the success that he had. He could have written about all the churches that he had planted. He could have reflected over all the good things that happened in his life. But instead, here's what he said. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Now you say, Brian, what what does that mean? Well, the word answer in this text, what it means in the Greek is defense or trial. 
of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have reflected on and to, told, to tell Timothy about, what he told him and what he recounted in his mind was the very first time he stood trial. The very first time that he faced a trial in his life, that's what he wrote about. And he was wanting to rehash this and make sure Timothy understood because he was trying to tell Timothy, yes, there's going to be good times, but in the midst of all that goodness, and, and if you continue to serve God, there's going to be some trials that come your way. And may I remind us tonight, and I think we all know this, there's going to be times of blessing and times of prosperity and times of goodness, but there's also going to be times of trial. And what do we do in those times of trial? What do we do when those times come up against us? Paul teaches us here, and he tells us about this trial. And I, I, want to just, I want to look at the significance of this trial just for a little bit, and these trials here tonight, and, and give you what the Lord has shared with me. I want you to understand that the first time that Paul was on trial, the first answer, if you will, the first time he stood in defense, he was standing in defense of his ministry. He was not standing because he was sinful. He was not standing because uh, in defense and trial because he'd done anything wrong as far as sinfully or immorally. No, he was standing on trial for serving God. And he was standing on trial because his ministry was successful. Think about that. He was on trial because of the success of his ministry, not because of sin. And so I want to ask you tonight, when it comes to being on trial, when it comes to facing adversity, Paul had to understand that because of his success, it brought resistance. Let me ask you this question. How do you handle the fact that your success may actually be your struggle? You say, Brian, what are you mentioning by that? Here, here's what I'm saying. So many times we want to focus on the negativity that comes when the devil attacks us. But may I remind you, the Lord has been plenty good to you. <laughs> and he, if you look back at your life, there's been way more success than there has been sorrow. There's been way more times where you've, where you've had good things happen to you than the bad things happen to you. And so many times Satan would like us to focus on the negativity when we have to understand, thank God, he is the God of the mountain. And sometimes things happen and they go our way and we are blessed abundantly. And so my question to you tonight, and I, and I think we don't talk about it a lot. How do you handle success? How do you handle the blessings that God gives you? Now, I don't think we hear a lot of preaching about this. And here's what I think the reason for it. Because when we talk about success and when we mention it from the pulpits and when we mention it to other people, people may think that we're bragging because it's something that we have done. But may I remind you, every good gift and every perfect gift coming from the Father above. Everything that you have in your possession, everything that you have at your home, in your garage, every child you have, it's a blessing from the hand of Almighty God. And I think not only do we need to learn how to handle the adversity in life, but we need to learn how to handle the success that God gives us. Why? Because with success, will bring resistance. 
Do you not understand that when God blesses you, people will be angry with you? When you get a job at work or a promotion at work and you didn't expect to get it, it's just a favor of God, guess what? People are going to be mad at you. And the only reason you have say, you know what, I don't deserve it, but God gave it to me. And when you tell them that, they even get more angry with you. It's just the favor of God. We can't explain it. It may not be fair, but it's, it's favor. And sometimes God chooses to pour his blessings out of, are you getting this tonight? He chooses to pour his blessings out upon us tonight. But with those blessings will also come resistance. People don't like it that you succeed. Oh, they want you to pat them on the back when something good happens. But when you tell them, the reason I have this or that is because God gave it to me. They don't understand it because they don't serve the Lord. And so they will, they will resist you. They will come against you. Paul was successful in ministry and therefore he was causing an uproar in the communities he was in. And because of his success, then he was on trial. And folks, may I remind you, Satan will not let you be successful without resistance. And sometimes trials will come because it's an attack on a, on a person with a persistent faith who sees that they, they will not quit when the enemy comes. Paul could have talked about the miracles that had happened in his life. He could have talked about all the salvations he had saw. He could have talked about all the churches that he had planted and were successful. But instead, he warned Timothy, listen, people will not like it that you succeed. And trials will come because you are successful. Do you not understand? And please, do not get me wrong. I'm not trying to puff up the Rubyville Community Church. Because everything that has happened here, it isn't because of your pastors. It isn't because of a wonderful Sunday school teachers we have, even though they're great, and it isn't because we have great people that work inside the church. No, that all comes as part of the church, but everything that we've received, every blessing that we have, everything monetarily, financially, physically, it has all come from the hand of God. No other explanation for it. And if anybody can explain that to you, it'd be our treasurer and assistant treasurer. They see what goes out of this church and what flows out of this church to bless others. And they also see what comes in. And every month, they, it boggles their mind. And Todd sits there, and Todd, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm gonna point you out anyway. But you know, he, he's soft-hearted, and it doesn't take him much to cry. But when he starts reading the treasurer's report, listen, can you imagine getting blessed reading a treasurer's report? That's what happens. Because we cannot outgive God. Every time we give it out and give it out and give it out. Do you realize in the last month, well over $100,000, $200,000 has left its church to be a blessing to others. And guess what? I guarantee when we go to that board meeting here in a couple of weeks, it'll all be back in there. Why? Because you cannot outgive God. But because I said that tonight, and because I praise God for what he has done, it'll be met with resistance. Because people don't like it when you succeed. So he warned Timothy, beware, beware. With the success will come a trying of your faith. 
And you have to understand and keep it all in perspective. And, and you have to understand as well, sometimes God will allow that to happen to authenticate your faith, to make sure that you're serving him for the right reason. And so he told him, he said, remember, with the success will come resistance. And with that success, it'll come the trying of your faith. Secondly, trials will also test your friendships. They'll not only try your faith, but they'll test your friendships. Look at what he warned him. He said, at my first trial, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And in the previous verses, he actually named some of them. Demas, Alexander the coppersmith. He named some others that had left them whenever the trial came. And you'll find that to be true. Whenever you succeed, whenever the trials come, a lot of times people will stand with you when it's good, but when the trials come, they're nowhere to be found. And when trials come, it will test your friendships. He said, all men forsook me. When I wasn't on trial, they were right with me. When miracles were happening, they were right there. Whenever I was planting churches, they were there. But then when I was put on trial for for serving God, they all left me and forsook me. And you'll find that to be true in your life, especially young people, especially those that are maybe fresh out of high school and you're in college, you'll find out the more you fall in love with God, it'll test your friendship because people will understand that you, that you love God and they'll want to do certain things and they'll want you to do certain things and it'll test your friendship. May I always remind you, they may forsake you, they may, whoa, they may leave you, but may you understand if they leave you because you serve God, they want your friends to be begin with amen and I'll remind those in ministry as well serving God and being in full-time ministry and being in ministry in general sometimes you'll have times of loneliness and there'll be places that you're the only one that can go and no one can go with you and I've come to find out that in ministry There are just some things you have to go at it alone. And I've also found out loneliness is not an absence of people. Loneliness is an absence of relationships. And there's been times when I've been alone. Paul said, listen, sometimes when the trials come, you're going to be left all alone, Timothy. There's going to be times of loneliness. And I don't mean to paint a grim picture. Because it'll get better here in just a little bit. But he said, I just want to warn you, Timothy. Sometimes serving God, you feel alone. Sometimes you feel like you're the only person at work that serves God. Sometimes you feel like you're the only person in your family that serves God. And folks, how many of you, as the day approaches that Jesus Christ is soon returning, you feel like you may be one of the very few Christians left on this world that actually are doing the right thing for God. It feels lonely sometimes out there in the world, doesn't it? And Paul warned Timothy, these trials will test your friendships and they'll try your faith. But thirdly, trials will teach you to forgive. Look at what he said in verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God 
that it may not be laid to their charge. You know what he was saying? St. Timothy, I'm at the end of my life. And yep, when I needed these guys, they weren't nowhere to be found. But I pray God will forgive them. And you know what Paul was doing? It was twofold. He was not only praying for forgiveness for the people that left him. He was praying for forgiveness because he did not want to be in jail spiritually. And by that, I mean this. He was already in jail physically, but at the end of his life, he didn't want to have an unforgiving heart. And folks, I may hit some people here, and I don't mean to by any means, but some of you will never be free until you learn to forgive. And life is too short for you not to forgive. Did they wrong you? Yep. Did they say things about you? I'm sure they did. Did they leave you whenever you needed them? They probably did. I'm not saying they're not at fault. But what I'm saying is, do you want to leave this world and live your life with an unforgiving heart? You may never get an apology. You may never get a letter saying, I'm sorry for what I did to you. But that doesn't mean you won't be free if you say, Lord, forgive them. That's good preaching, isn't it? Don't leave this world with an unforgiving heart. God wants you to be free. Here he is at the end of his life. He said, I don't want to die angry. I don't want to die with bitterness in my heart because somebody done me wrong. I want to die free. Because he was, what he was saying was, God has been too good to me to worry about two or three people that did me wrong. And in the grand scheme of it, if there are people that have done you wrong, you may be able to count them on one or two fingers, maybe even on one hand, the people that have done you wrong in your life. But if you look at all the people that God has allowed to be in your life that has been a blessing to you, they far outnumber those that have done you wrong. So why focus on people that don't care about you and worry about those that love you? Don't die angry. Don't live a life with an angry, unforgiving heart. It's time to forgive and be free. Trials will... This time of trial, Paul was saying, will try your faith. It'll test your friendships. It'll teach you to forgive. But notice what he said in verse 18. Look at his triumph at his finish. Actually, go back up to verse 17. He says, Timothy, he's like, when it, when, when it came down to brass tacks and it came, push came to shove, these guys left me. They all forsook me. I, I want God to forgive them, but I want to remind you as well, the Lord stood with me. I may have felt alone physically, but I soon realized that when they left, somebody didn't leave me, and that was the Lord. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, and I fully realized that he shifted my purpose in life. 
Because I was planning all these churches and what God was allowing me to do, he was allowing me to go through this trial so that the Gentiles may be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was using the trial to turn it into Paul's favor. And aren't you thankful tonight that when God allows certain things to happen, hallelujah, he can turn it all around and make it work out for your good. I think that's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Wait a minute, who wrote that? Oh yeah, it was Paul that wrote that. He understood even at the end of his life that God allowed certain things to happen just so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be preached to those that needed it. And you better be thankful because of that. He said that the Gentiles might hear. And then he said, and here's the triumph at the finish of his life. And the Lord, in verse 18, shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What was he saying? He was saying, Timothy, it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. No matter the trials we have to go through, it'll be worth it for the glory that is waiting for us. The songwriter put it this way, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face and all sorrows will erase. Here's our admonishment. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Till we see Christ. Monday and Tuesday, we had two funerals. And I know, I know me and Kyrie were talking in the, in the van going to the cemetery at Rogers uh, internment in, in there. And we started talking about all the similarities. Same, they, they were just in rooms apart there at hospice, died within hours of each other, had the same exact casket, buried in the same exact cemetery. And then I got to thinking, and they're going to the same exact heaven. <laughs> but, but think about this. Harold Mullins, Cy, they called him, say just at 11.59, when God was coming to get him at midnight. Brother Roger served God as, I don't know, when he got saved, I know it was early in life. It was so ironic, every church that he was involved in from a time as a young man all the way up until his death was represented here yesterday. He had influenced that many people all throughout his life. And yet here's a man, Harold Mullins, that never served God, but just up until his time of his passing. And here's Roger Davis that served God his entire life and entered into the pearly gates of the city. And guess what? They both received an eternal reward. You know what that's called? Grace. 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 I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his long suffering. And many of you have family members tonight that you can see again because God showed them mercy and grace. Two different funeral services altogether. But I'm telling you, the hope that was felt 
in both of those places was so strong, knowing that their loved one was on the other side waiting on him. And I wonder tonight, let's go back to my very first question. If you had an opportunity to write one final letter, what would you say? Hopefully most of you would say, I'm in heaven. I'm going to heaven just because of God's grace.